0: Good morning. We live in quite an amazing community, don't we? There are so many reasons that it's a great place to live here in central Indiana. One of those things that is right here in our backyard, maybe some families have gone to this place over fall break. Mine has. We've gone to the Indianapolis Children's Museum. We've been there recently. It is um, one of the best children's museums in the world and it's right here in our community but um, they right now have an exhibit called sacred spaces and it's quite a fascinating exhibit it's it's all these religious places and spaces some breathtaking architecture all kinds of stuff from all around the world they they help you get into those spaces in your in your mind they've got pictures and, and interaction and all that good stuff uh, but but it's interesting because they, they take you to the Caribbean. They take you to a synagogue in Curacao. They take you to a Catholic church in Jordan in the Middle East. They take you to a mosque in Mali, Africa, a Hindu shrine in Nepal, a Buddhist temple in Bangkok. Now, in every corner of the world, they're showing you all these places, acknowledging that people everywhere have this desire to create something sacred, to encounter something beyond what's physical, our day-to-day life, what we see, feel, taste, and touch, that there is something inside of all of us that we long for that something more. And not only that, but there is this desire, this impetus to have that something more worshiped in a physical place. And so for all of human history, and it is no different today, people all over the world have that desire. And what does that say? To me, it says that that's how God made us, that God made us with that desire. And so that's what we see all around the world is that people want to experience something transcendent. We would say some, we want to experience God. We want to meet him in these sacred spaces, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from. Now we are in a series called Bodybuilders. And we've learned a lot about the church. We've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians, looking at how the church should function, how the church should operate. And in the chapters 11 through 14, where we've been kind of hanging out these past few weeks, we've seen that there are lots of components to a healthy church, all kinds of things. And um, what's interesting to me about the New Testament, there's all kinds of things that are interesting, but one thing that maybe you wouldn't realize is that you could read the New Testament many, many times, and there isn't very much about what we do when we get together. There aren't a lot of instructions or rules or, or um, implications over what we should do when we gather What does the church do when you're at church? There's not a whole lot. And this chapter is actually one of them. What are we supposed to do? What is the space supposed to look like? How do we function when we're together? You can go to the Children's Museum and find out how people have thought through this all over the world, what they think sacred spaces look like. But what should we expect when we enter a church? Biblically, what does the Bible say when we should enter a space, whether it's here or on the other side of the world, if there are Christians gathering to worship God, what should happen? Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, start in verse 26 with me. It's one of these few places that guides us on what to expect. verse 26 says, well, my brothers and sisters, let's Summarize. So you can kind of understand right here, Paul is saying, I'm going to summarize a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about for the past few weeks, these last few chapters, this section of 1 Corinthians. um, Everything we've been talking about with spiritual gifts, everything we've been talking about, uh, you know, what we should do, whether that's the Lord's Supper, what we should do when we gather. Let's summarize these thoughts succinctly. What can we expect when we get together? When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell of some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said, but everything that is done must strengthen you, all of you. That is what we should expect that summarizing sentence there, whenever you come to worship with other Christians, you should expect to be strengthened. Every single one of you. And I would say, just like we are strengthened, uh, we should be encouraged. That's another way to think about that. When you come to worship, you should expect To be encouraged. You should expect that. Every time you gather with your church family, you should expect encouragement. It's exactly what we've been saying in 1 Corinthians. The church should be built a certain way. The body should be built when we gather. That's what we should be doing. Now, how does this strengthening happen? What do we do when we get together that strengthens each other? Well, there's this list here in verse 26. There are certain means, there are certain ways that we uh, operate things that we do that will strengthen one another. And the way Paul describes this is actually kind of interesting. In the original language in Greek, uh, this sentence is a long sentence and there's one verb and it's to meet. There's only one thing that they're actively doing. They're meeting together. And then there's this list of nouns. There's a list of things that people bring. So one way you could uh, translate this verse is, when you meet together, a person has a song. One has a teaching. Another has a revelation from God to share. Another has a tongue. Another has an interpretation. But no matter what is happening, it should all strengthen you. So that's what Paul says, that, that all the people who assemble, we bring different things Some people came prepared to sing and lead worship today. Other people, like me, came prepared to teach today. And maybe someone came prepared to speak in tongues today. Could be really exciting here in second service. Didn't happen in first service. We'll see. I don't know. Could be a very interesting day. Um, But if it does happen, it should encourage us. That's what Paul is saying. And this is in contrast to the things that he witnessed in the church in Corinth. If you remember in chapter 11, verse 17, he told them, it sounds like you guys are going backwards. It sounds like you're causing more harm than good when you meet together, your church, you're not building each other up, you're going backwards. And so all of these things are to help churches like us go forward in our faith. Now, when I read this, I kind of feel like this is pretty generic. Like that doesn't really differentiate this church from the church down the street. Like really all all we do is have a song and a teaching. That's pretty generic. And it is. Is there anything else that we should know? Is there a certain kind of building we need to build? Like should it have a steeple with the cross on it or have stuff on the wall or a certain color carpet? Or do we need an organ or a guitar or drums or uh, is it okay if we don't have any instruments and we just kind of sing a cappella? What's okay? What's not okay? And we maybe have all kinds of questions about what we're supposed to do when the church gets together and the church has had all kinds of opinions on those sorts of things for years and years and years and years. But what's interesting is the Bible doesn't address that. It doesn't. It doesn't say a whole lot. And there's actually something very beautiful about that. Isn't that so true? This was written so that people all over the world for thousands of years could have the same instructions and be faithful to God. You see, that's ingenious. The church is so malleable and adaptable that it doesn't matter how many thousands of languages that are out there, people are worshiping God right now all different cultures, all different continents, all over the planet. What's amazing is I've experienced some of that. I've worshiped God underneath an acacia tree in Kenya with Christians. We had church with a small group of people. We've had, I've been to church in a 150-year-old old Methodist rural Indiana building, and we had church. I've had church surrounded by some banana trees in Panama. I've had church in a high school auditorium in Arcadia, Indiana. And I've had church a whole lot of times right here in this room with you. What happened in those times for me? Well, somebody brought some songs. Somebody brought some teaching and we heard some revelation from God speaking to us. It was amazing. Every time all over, that is what happens when Christians get together to worship God. And that's what happens. For 2000 years since Jesus rose from the dead until he comes back, this is what the church is gonna do when we get together. And that's encouraging. And it is what strengthens us. What else should we expect when we get together as a church? Verse 27 says, No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak at one time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present, who can interpret? They must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Let two or three people prophesy. Let the others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying, another person receives a revelation from the Lord. The one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak one after the other. So that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace peace as in all meetings of God's holy people. If you were with us last week, the first part of chapter 14, we talked a lot about speaking in tongues, a lot about prophecy, and uh, there is still more that Paul needed to say about that topic. There's a few things here. These are spiritual gifts, um, but he is saying in the context of a service, there's a few very clear rules. If someone's going to speak in tongues, there must be an interpreter. Right here, 1 Corinthians 14. If you're in a church service where that is happening and no one is interpreting it, that is not what the Bible says should be happening in a worship service. It does acknowledge, and we didn't really talk about this too much, but in verse 28, that speaking in tongues can be done privately on your own. It says right there in verse 28 that that may be something that encourages you in your own personal faith. Maybe that is something that happens. Maybe it's not. And even if somebody does do this and there is an interpretation, it shouldn't dominate the time. It should only happen two or three times. This is what he says in First Corinthians 14 right here. Even on top of that, the people that are speaking, that are sharing things from up front, people like myself right now, verse 29 says you need to evaluate what is said. So get your pens out. You can evaluate. You need to take notes. You need to be thinking. Is what this person is saying, is it true? Is it what this passage is teaching? You have a responsibility to be thoughtful and mindful of what is being said. I have a responsibility and I'm held accountable to what I teach, but so are you. You're responsible for listening and processing and making sure that it does agree with what you know as well. You need to think about these things. And excuse me, there's a reason for all this. He says that God is a God of order and peace. He's not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. So the worship services should reflect who God is, that we worship him in an orderly way. So not only when we come to church, we should expect to be encouraged, but we should expect some form of order. If you go to a worship service or a part of a service, and maybe you have, and it felt very chaotic, it was completely disorganized, and it was probably not helpful for you. Because 1 Corinthians 14 says, when we get together, we need to plan what we're doing. We need to have some kind of order about what is taking place up front because that is what you should expect. And what happens is the church is gathered together. It should be in a specific way. You see, um, we see here in these few verses in uh, 29, and, or no, 28 33, 34, 35, there's a word used to describe the church, the meeting of the church, Paul says, the gathering of the church or the church meeting. It's an important Greek word, so I want to teach it to you. It's called ekklesia. That is the word in the New Testament that is translated for church. Anywhere you see church, it's this word, ecclesia, and sometimes it's translated meeting because that's what the word means. It means assembly. It means gathering or group. And what makes this gathering special is, verse 33, who is in it? Who is in the meeting? Who is in the gathering? Well, it's a meeting of God's holy people. So when God's holy people get in a room, something different happens than when another set of people gather in a room. When God's holy people come together, it becomes an ecclesia, it becomes a church. You see, there is something that Paul is trying to help us understand, that the church is a collection of God's people. And when we gather, we do certain things and we need to do them to encourage you and we need to do them in an orderly way. And so, your church, I want to report to you, we do hope that that is what's happening. And if it's not, we want, to let, we want you to let us know. But I kind of want to peel back the curtain just a little bit and um, let you know how we're trying to live this out. So I have a little picture for you. Um, this is the order of service for today. Maybe you've never seen one of these. You didn't even know that here at White River, we plan every element of our service. Like, okay, after the first song, Philip is going to say, welcome. We actually plan that. We planned that. We try to take into account how long is our service going to be? What songs are we going to sing? What key is it going to be in? Because we need people to practice it and to prepare. And they've been here all morning practicing the song so they could lead you. And it wouldn't just sound chaotic, but that we can worship We've been praying for months and months about this series way before we even started. So we knew what was gonna be taught today months ago. And our teaching team, we've planned the next many, many sermon series into next year through next summer. We've already got those planned out because we're trying to live this out. Now, I don't think scripture requires us to plan every single minute of service. Not every church needs to do that. Not every church needs to be a whole year out in their sermon planning. That's okay. But that's how we're living this out. I just kind of want to show you a little bit of what we do. So you should expect that. You should expect that from us. What else should you expect? Verse 34, let's keep reading. We're going to finish the chapter here today. Verse 34 says, women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. <laughs> oh) Was that just in my mind You heard that too? Okay, I, I thought that was just in my head there for a second. Um, if you got any questions about these two verses, Chris is going to be at Gimme Five. <laughs> He's going to cover that in five minutes or less and answer all your questions. Uh, All kidding aside, there are parts of the Bible that when we come across them, we go, what's in the Bible? I didn't know it said that. This may be one of those for you. There are others where you're like, I don't know how to understand that. That sounds not like what I think God is or who I am here to worship. Surely it can't mean that. Well, there is a couple things that we need to understand. And I wanna just take a time out from the worship service to talk a little bit about how do we understand this ancient book? It's important for us to understand how to interpret and understand the Bible. So a couple things you need to know. One, the Bible wasn't written directly to us in 2023. So it's not gonna be written to our 2023 sensitivities. It's just not. It's a lot older than that. And it's not written to our culture and it wasn't even written in our language. It's a different time and a different place. So we need to understand that. We need to also understand what I would say just as your pastor, when we come to passages, we need to kind of filter out. And think, have we built a theology, all the things that I believe? Have you ever played the game Jenga? And some things, maybe you read something like this and you're like, that feels like you took a Jenga piece out of the bottom and it's like, ooh. My encouragement to you is we cannot build our theology with a weak foundation so that if something that we don't expect comes up, that the whole thing crumbles. We actually have a very strong foundation of who we believe God is, who Jesus is, that he died for you and he rose from the dead. Those things are certain. We know those things. And so we need to understand things that maybe make our tower lean a little bit in that context. Also, we can't just assume the Bible means what we want it to mean. There are things that you'd be like, well, I'll just ignore it. You can't take it out. And you also can't just say, I want it to mean what I want it to mean, and this is what it means, and then just make up something that makes you feel better. That's not how we read the Bible. You can't skip over it. We need to understand what does it really mean. It means something, and it means something specific. How does it fit in? So we're going to ask questions and try to learn about how can we understand this? Another thing that we need to do when we read tough passages is we use the whole Bible to interpret the whole Bible. So you can't just take a verse. You need to see well, what does the Bible say about women? What does the Bible say about worship? What does the Bible say? What does Paul even say in this letter, 1 Corinthians, about worship and women, et cetera, et cetera? How do we understand things like this that are difficult? Okay. All that. This is written to a small church. The Corinthian church was a very small church in a Greco-Roman city. So Greco meaning they used Greek language and it was the Roman empire in the first century. So you need to know that. And this church met in a home. They didn't meet in a giant building. It was not very big. We have way more people here than were in this gathering. We don't know for sure, but I would say it's probably 50 to 75 people in that church. So you need to understand that. They were meeting in a home, all right? And the homes were probably not even as big as your home. But they did probably have some kind of courtyard where they would have met And that's what you need to think about when we come to these passages. They also would have been heavily influenced by the Jewish influence of the faith. So a lot of the Christians, the first Christians came from uh, Judaism. Paul recruited the first Christians from the synagogues and they took those forms of worship into the early church. And what they did was they separated men and women. So the men would have sat on the one side And the women would have sat on the other side. They would have been separate. You need to kind of know that. Also, there's a reality of education in the first century. In the Roman world, women just weren't as educated as the men. The only ones that would have been would have been wealthy ladies. You need to be aware of that. It's just a reality. That's not the church's fault. It's just the way it was. Also... In uh, Judaism, they would have encouraged the men to teach everyone in their home, women and children, about scripture. So they were the ones that were educated in Hebrew as they were studying the Old Testament. And they would have taken those things and taught and discipled their family. That was just the method that they used. It was, we're gonna teach the men, they're gonna teach their families. That's just the method that they had. And that was the context with which we read this. So, we also need to know what else is in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about women praying and prophesying in the gathering of the church. So, it can't mean something that's universal for the church for all time because it would be contradicting what he says even in this moment. All those things together make me feel like this is a very specific message to this specific church, not for you and I. And we're not breaking this because we had females leading worship today. I don't think we're disobeying scripture, and this is how I'm trying to understand how it all fits together. All I can think of when I put all these pieces together is that uh, I think because there were women on one side, men on the other side, it would have been disruptive if somebody's spouse was like, hey, what page number are we on again? Pastor Andrew referenced First Corinthians 14. What page is that? Didn't he talk about that last week, honey? Like, can't you imagine that would be a little disruptive if they're shouting questions across other people and someone's trying to teach and We're trying to worship God together. That is what I picture when Paul is saying this to the church. That would be disruptive. Please be quiet, okay? That is my understanding of this passage. Again, it's not a universal command. That is what we find and how it lines up with what scripture teaches as a whole. And in fact, if it still discourages you, I would argue that consistently the Bible continues to lift women up. Again, every other place, women weren't even included in the education or the religious process. Remember, I just told you that. And they're there in the church together. God continues to say, we're the same, all right? So don't be discouraged by what you read. It's okay. If you don't understand something, go, I don't understand it. Don't let it topple Your tower. All right? Okay. Back on track. That was a little off track for a second, but we're back. And again, I know I answered all your questions. Go to Chris. When Fred and Lance get back from Kenya, you can ask them. I did my job today. You guys are all good. All right. Verse 36. Do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. There's that order again. God wants to be worshiped in an orderly way. We can see that. But what we should also expect when the gathering of God's people, when the ecclesia is together, I would say, Paul is saying, we should expect messy people around. And you know why I say this? Because Paul is saying, hey, you Corinthians, you are prideful. You're still not receiving my instruction. Do you think God's word originated with you? He's like, stop thinking you know what's best. He's like, this is the way it's going to be. And God is saying this to you right now. They're prideful. We've already talked about how messed up this church was. It was so messy, wasn't it? It was extremely messy. And I would argue the women yelling across the aisle is probably not the worst offense. I think there are lots of men coming to service drunk for communion. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, okay? So that is all bad. It's a messy place. It's not going super well. The church is messy. And everything in scripture points us to that. That when we get together as a church, it's going to be messy because we're messy because we sin and we're sinners and we bring that mess with us wherever we go. And that's what the whole scriptures say. This is why Jesus came. He came because of our mess. He came to clean us up. He came to establish a group of people that did not become a museum of saints, but it's a hospital for sinners, And that's the picture that we see here in 1 Corinthians is that the church is a hospital and it's messy. And that's what we should expect when we come. You should expect that from the people around you. It's not gonna be perfect. Our feelings are gonna get hurt. We're gonna have conflict. Your leaders are gonna mess up. It's not gonna be perfect, but we're gonna worship God and expect these things. Now, this may be extremely obscure for you, but there is a verse that I think about quite often when I'm interacting with my church family. And I don't know what this says about you, but it, I think it is true. It is Proverbs 14:4, four. And this is what I think of sometimes. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. And you may be thinking, I have no idea what you're thinking, Andrew. That is really weird. I don't get it. That has nothing to do with women talking or the church. You're out of line today. I don't get you. This is what I'm thinking. Someone showed this verse to me in ministry, and it is something that I hold on to because just like a farmer, if their goal was to have a clean barn, one way they could accomplish that is not do any work. Have no animals, and you could have a really clean barn, couldn't you? You also would not have a harvest, it says. You need oxen for the harvest. And just like that, in the church, wherever there are oxen, they make a little mess, (laughs) if you know what I'm saying. But you also have a harvest, And I hope that's encouraging, but I hope that also speaks the truth that that's what the church is like, that we're here for a purpose. We're here on mission to have a harvest, the great commission. We're connecting every life to Jesus. And sometimes it's hard, but I would much rather do that than never have to clean the carpet, (laughs) never have to deal with an argument, or have some situations that we have to navigate together as a church. Because if there are no oxen, the barns would be a little too clean. Now, why does this all matter? Maybe speaking in tongues or spiritual gifts or orders of worship, you're like, okay, you kind of got my attention a little bit, but like, I fell asleep 30 minutes ago. Where are you going with this? I don't understand this matters deeply because people around you, people that you know, I know this is true, are leaving the gathered church at rates we have never seen. I started reading a book called The Great De-Churching by Jim Davis and Michael Graham. And they were referring to a study done over the past 25 years in their book that says over 40 million Americans have stopped going to church. They've stopped assembling with the ecclesia, over these last 25 years. And they argue that just as the church grew in the spiritual awakening and the first and second great awakenings in our country, you add those two revivals together, this one is greater than it, except for in the opposite direction. People around you, and I would bet many of you yourself have had these thoughts, why do I do this? Why do I get together with people? Why do I give towards this? What is this really all about? We are in the middle of a time where people are shedding the church and saying, I don't understand it. I don't need that. That's not a sacred space. What is this all about? And I'm here to tell you that if you continue to come to church because you think this is what your parents want you to do, or this is a tradition I need to carry on, or that I'm going to feel guilty if I stop going to church or I only go to church as long as my church is really healthy, or my leaders do certain things, those are not the reasons that are going to sustain you. Because Paul is saying the church is really messy, friends. He's saying it gets a little dicey. You can't write off church because of human interference. You should expect the mess. And we can't give up on church for one reason. Because the community... The ecclesia of God is where God speaks the loudest. This is where God speaks the loudest. I'm not saying that he doesn't speak outside of the church. I'm not arguing that all churches are healthy. I'm not arguing that our church is 100% healthy. I'm just saying what scripture is teaching us today is that if you want to hear God speak, we need to get together. And we need to hear what we bring to the table, the songs and the teaching and the words from God. They will encourage you and equip you to live out your faith and that you need the church because God is here. All those things you should expect. You should expect God to be present in our midst. You see, this is not a sacred space because it's such a beautiful piece of architecture because there's a cross on the top or in the building somewhere. It's not a sacred space because we pass fancy communion trays that you don't have at home. You're like, oh, this is kind of special. This is a fancy, sacred place. They've got cool trays. No, it's not fancy or sacred because we do certain lights or because we have certain people that stand up here. There is nothing special about us. After all, I know there's nothing special about you. I just compared you to oxen doing their business in the barn, okay? You should know what I think of you. It's sacred because God is here. That's what makes this special. And him speaking is something that we should desire. And we hear that together because God dwells inside you and inside me. And this is where he speaks the loudest. The church is like an amazing acapella group. You can have your own relationship on your own, but when you add the voices together, isn't it so much deeper, so much richer, so much more beautiful? That is what the church is Yes, you have an individual relationship, but it's meant to be a team sport. And this Ecclesia, White River Christian Church, is a place where you belong. It's a place where you can become like Jesus, God, a place where you can serve and build his kingdom his way. You can expect God. When you come here, that's our prayer. You can expect to hear about Jesus, about how he's died for you, how he rose from the dead for your sins, how we can turn from those and follow him every day of our life. That you can meet him right here, right now. You don't have to go to a synagogue on the beach. You don't have to go to the far east and see some fancy architecture. You just gotta come to this old barn with these old oxen and hear from God yourself. God, thank you so much for this church. I thank you that we have the privilege to gather together in your name, that we can hear from you as we open the pages of scripture, that we can hear the gospel as we sing it to ourselves and we sing it to you. May we be inspired to go and be the church when we are scattered and to gather And hear and experience you together. Thank you for saving us and calling us your own and welcoming us into this imperfect gathering. It's in your name we pray. Amen.